Welcome to the Stereoactive Movie Club. My name is Jeremiah, and I'm here with Alicia, Laura, Mia, and Steven. And we're going to be talking about the 1965 film Pierrot Le Fou, directed by Jean-Luc Godard. But before we go on, let's hear from everyone about one movie they've watched recently that they want to talk about here. Steven? Um, I saw Black Adam, which was the rock vehicle of a DC Comics movie, or DC Comics comic book. Um, and it was enjoyable. Um, it wasn't really that deep. It, it was definitely a comic book movie, but this was more comic book movie than a lot of comic book movies I've seen. And that it was just sort of like, you could tell, you could kind of feel that it was written for kids. Um, and, and it was very like ham handed, but the special effects were amazing and the rock, you know, delivers every time as far as I'm concerned. So I enjoyed the movie. All right. Alicia. I finally saw Parasite, which won the Oscar a few years ago. Um, I saw it on the flight back from our trip to Spain. Stephen watched it on the way there. So I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I should watch it too. <laughs> um, and I, I really liked it. I, it was, I thought it was like a horror film for some reason, um, which it's clearly not. And um, although there is some gore in there at the end. But yeah, I thought it was really a good take on like class warfare. It was interesting. And Laura? I watched Planet of the Apes for the first time. The original? The 1968 movie with Charlton Heston. All right. What did you think? It was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was was really intense. Very good. Yeah, it was. I just thought it was so wild. It was so impressive. Really smart. I mean, just the the pacing of the film, the the scenes, the violence of it. You know, it's rated G. Yeah. And it's like it starts immediately with the tons of you know acres of naked man. Yes. <laughs> yes. Who who go. made that movie? Who's um, the director? Franklin J. Schaffner, I believe his yeah. name is. It's the same guy did Patton and a certain movie mm. that I saw with or watched not with you alicia but uh was watched in advance of going to a taping of how did this get made with you he directed i'm pretty sure that terrible movie with with one of the three tenors in it was was yeah yeah Yeah. i'm pretty (laughs) sure he directed that (laughs) but uh, that was a fun terrible movie yeah that movie sucked though (laughs) so bad (laughs) but i what a a fall from grace um anyway mia i watched scream which i hadn't seen since like i don't know like 1997 or something and it was so good like i seriously think the last time i watched it was like at a sleepover and just a lot of the meta scary movie references were just totally over my head or I just you know wasn't paying attention to it really and yeah it was just so good and the first like you know 10 minutes or whatever I was I I scared easily in movies as we were kind of talking about before we got started and so I was just like so terrified um but yeah it was amazing I kind of want to watch all of the screams now because that's the only one I've ever seen so oh Two is good, too. Heard, I know two, two is, is good. good. Yeah, I've heard two is good. Wasn't that one of the ones? Three is where, eh. Yeah. Are there four? <laughs> Are there There's three? five. There's five now. I will not yeah, be watching I saw any more five. of those. <laughs> two. See, two. Two is yeah. good. And I saw, three is I saw okay, two when it came out. I'm fine. Yeah, I thought two was one of those ones where people were like, some people are like, oh, it's better than the first one. Like one of those sequels. Mm. Yeah, no. it's just it's like Empire Strikes good. Back or Godfather 2, definitely. Um, it's not better than the first one, okay. in my opinion. The first one is the best one, yeah. but totally. two and three are It's so fun. good. Like, when is Nev Campbell going to have, like, a 90s star return? A Nevisance? A Nevisance. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm here for she, it. She's on, like, a show on Netflix right now. She's oh. slowly. Oh, we're, really? we're in a Nevisance. I love it. <laughs> it's not quite, but... <laughs> It's an attempt. We're getting closer. We're starting. We're getting closer. Yeah. Starting. It's the first wave. Um, well, I am going to talk about RRR, which I know you guys already heard me talk about at our production meeting, but um, <laughs> I finally got got to see that. First, I saw it in the movie theater at the Austin Film Society, and I saw it with a crowd. Some of the people obviously knew the movie very well, and it's become very popular. A lot of people 
are calling it like the film of the year, like critics and uh, film goers, film fans, whatever. But like seeing it with a crowd was so good. Um, people were like almost singing along with the movie when there was music or like just like citing some of the lines, but not in an obnoxious way. Usually that would annoy the hell out of me with uh, any any normal movie. But this movie was just like, it, it excites so much enthusiasm in people. It's infectious and it was so fun that uh, I immediately came home and was like, Mia, my birthday is next week. I would like to watch <laughs> this again with you. Would you watch it with me? And she did and we loved it. And so fun. Such a fun movie. Could not recommend it more. It's And uh, my line about it, which I know you guys already heard me say, is it's like the movie that Boz Lerman and somehow Zack Snyder have both been trying and failing to make for years because um, they aren't good enough. So there you go. I just like to tell you that you used your birthday card. <laughs> I did. To get it. <laughs> Definitely did. Uh, but it was worth it, right? It's so okay, good. Okay, she's nodding. It's so good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's an awesome movie. Like, I, w- I was like, I'd watch this again, like, the next day. It's mm. It's that good. Yeah, it's really good. And it's on Netflix, so go watch it. Uh, so, for those who may not have listened to the show before, this is a podcast where the five of us are discussing movies that have appeared on Sight and Sound Magazine's poll of the greatest movies ever made that comes out every 10 years. The next poll will be out sometime this year, in 2022, so we're basically trying to watch some of the movies from past polls before the new one is out. And again, this time we are talking about Peru Le Fou. But before we get into the history and background of the movie... What did each of us know about it going into this viewing? Who had seen it before? And if you hadn't, what were you expecting, if anything? And Steven, since you picked this one, can you start us off and also remind us why you chose it? I chose it because it was a Jean-Luc Godard movie. um, And I knew that he was a very influential director of French New Wave. Um, Plus, the trailer looked very colorful. So I decided I wanted to see it. It just looked like a really exciting movie. Um, and I did not know very much about it other than that. Okay. Laura? You know, I, I feel like I, I mentioned this a lot. I worked at Scarecrow Video. <laughs> and um, through that, I saw a lot of Godard films. I'd seen this one before, or most of it before, through that. And did you remember enjoying it or not? I or? remember not enjoying it. Okay. <laughs> I remember having a hard time getting through it. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, Alicia, how about you? I had never seen it before and not really sure if I ever heard I'd ever heard of it even before seeing it on our list. And then somehow I got it in my head that it was like a movie about a clown. Mm. And I was pleasantly surprised that it was not a movie about a clown. <laughs> so that's what I knew going in. <laughs> Wait, did you think this was it? <laughs> I, I wish it had been it to be honest oh 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 sorry okay. shots fired. yeah shots i mean fired. <laughs> arguably it is a movie about a clown you could well it does doesn't his his nickname mean like sad clown or something so yeah something yes, like I think that it's yeah. the name of the sad clown yeah that, you know um well mia what about you um i had not seen this movie before although jeremy and i watched Breathless a couple months back, um, which is another Godard film. But yeah, I didn't know anything about it going into it. Yeah, I didn't really know much about it. I knew it was a Godard film. I'd seen some stills and maybe some clips from it, but I didn't know the plot of it or anything. Um, I don't know. I didn't really know much going in, to be honest. I didn't even know the name of the movie was the movie that it is. Like I'd seen those clips and those stills, not knowing which Godard film they were from. So, okay. So that's where we stood on the film for what it's worth before watching it for this episode. And we'll get more into the film in just a moment, but first let's take a break. And we're back. Let's get more into our movie and its history. I'll start by reading the Criterion Collection's description of the film. Dissatisfied in marriage and life, Ferdinand, Jean-Paul Belmondo, takes to the road with the babysitter, his ex-lover, Marianne Renoir, Anna Karina, and leaves the bourgeois world behind. Yet this is no normal road trip. 
The 10th feature in six years by genius auteur Jean-Luc Godard is a stylish mashup of anti-consumerist satire, au courant politics, and comic book aesthetics, as well as a violent zigzag tale of, as Godard called them, the last romantic couple. With blissful color imagery by cinematographer Raoul Cotard and Belmondo and Karina at their most animated, Perrault Lafou is one of the high points of the French New Wave and was Godard's last frolic before he moved ever further into radical cinema. Again, that was from the Criterion Collection. I'd also like to read a bit from Roger Ebert's review of the film, which was published in 1969 as the movie was first released in the United States, four years after it was out in France. So, again, this is how Ebert began his review. First, a brief preface. Every time I review a film by Jean-Luc Godard, I receive outraged letters from readers who hated it. It is suggested that my reviews and myself join Godard on the trash heap of history, that the customers was robbed. A common complaint is that Godard made no sense, and so on. So let this be a warning. You probably won't like Peru Le Fou. One of Godard's films, seen by itself, can be a frustrating and puzzling experience, but when you begin to get into his universe, when you've seen a lot of Godard, you find yourself liking him more and more. One day something clicks, and Godard comes together. And then perhaps you decide that if he is not the greatest living director, he is certainly the most audacious, the most experimental, the one who understands best how movies work. Perot Le Fou marked the beginning of Godard's current period. Before it came the black and white films, cool, quick, and austere, with an emphasis on interpersonal relationships. After it came the Godard of color, widescreen, an increasing preoccupation with politics, American culture, violence, Vietnam, and movies. All of Godard's films since Perot Le Fou have essentially been movies about themselves, a statement hard to explain unless you've seen them. Again, that was from Roger Ebert's review, in which, by the way, he gave the film three and a half out of four stars. Godard himself said the film was connected with the violence and loneliness that lie so close to happiness today. It is very much a film about France. So yes, with its fourth wall breaks, often jarring editing style, and tendency to internally jump among mass culture and or pop art references in both extremely metatextual and self-referential ways, this is at once recognizable as a Godard film, a French New Wave film, and in a broader way, a certain type of art house film that is at once exciting for many and probably challenging if not off-putting for many more. And I don't mean that as my judgment on the film so much as an attempt to realistically place it in the culture. Pierrot Le Fou was France's submission to the Academy Awards honoring 1965 films, but it was not ultimately one of the five films nominated for Best Foreign Language Film that year. And the big winner at the Oscars that year was The Sound of Music. Meanwhile, to give a further sense of what was popular in the United States in 1965, the top grossing films in North America were, from one to five, The Sound of Music, Dr. Zhivago, Thunderball, Those Magnificent Men and Their Flying Machines, and The Great Race. As for our purposes, the movie has never actually appeared in the top 10 of Sight & Sound's critics or director's surveys, but it was tied as a runner-up with Hiroshima Monomore and The Gold Rush on the 1972 list. In the 2012 polling, it was tied at number 42 by critics and number one by directors. Also, it's worth noting that Roger Ebert reviewed the film again in 2007 and started its review off with this. Godard's Peru Le Fou is the same film I liked so much when it opened here in 1968 and assigned a three and a half star rating. But while I once wrote of it as Godard's most virtuoso display of his mastery of Hollywood genres, I now see it more as the story of silly characters who have seen too many Hollywood movies. His review at that time gave it two and a half out of four stars. So, Stephen, uh, since this was your pick, can you start us off with your thoughts on the film and whether it met your expectations such as they were, since you didn't really know much about it going in? Yeah, I mean, I didn't have any expectations going into the movie, but after you read that kind of review from um, Roger Ebert, it it was like, it was very challenging and off-putting. I think that, that really <laughs> kind of sums it up, at least for me. Um, although, like, I can honestly say I didn't, hate watching the movie itself like there wasn't a frame that wasn't just dynamic to me like I, I really did enjoy just looking at it and just seeing how the colors were put together and you know just seeing the actors like doing their thing but as for the movie I felt like it was pretty incoherent for me and sometimes I felt like I wasn't paying close enough attention to it because I was they just jumped from scene to scene and I wasn't sure like did I miss something did they explain something that I just didn't get maybe it was the translation <laughs> that was off um, but 
overall, like I just found it really kind of difficult to get through. I felt like I was spending a lot of the movie just trying to figure out like from scene to scene what was happening. And it was just kind of put together in a way that like, I think it was just more important to just sort of watch the scenes and get something out of it that way than it was for the movie to be very coherent. Um, so, and also like I was trying to figure out, was it a love story? Was it a heist story? Um, so there was just a lot of confusion on my part as I was watching it. Okay. And Alicia? I I did not enjoy this movie very much. I, I found it really difficult to care about the characters. Um, I found it really shallow in that sort of way that people who are uh, like academically intelligent and they know it, they do a lot of performative talk and that was a lot of what was happening here. <laughs> And but there was like no substance to these people. I don't know what they thought they were doing. It was it was just it was aesthetically. It's a it's a really cool film aesthetically, but uh, but again, it's I just find it shallow underneath. I didn't find it to be meaningful to me at all. So anyway, okay. And Laura, um, yeah, it was still really difficult to get through this time. I. You know, aside from the visuals being really interesting and a lot of, you know, he, Godard in the previous films, he uses Hollywood tropes, you know, girl with a gun, heist or different things um, to play around with the film. You know, he's, he's quoted as saying, and I'm paraphrasing and I'm going to butcher it, something about how style is the, you know, outside of content or content's the inside of style and how the two things are just as important as the other and that is how he makes films and I think it's an exact it's a perfect example of a failure of that here um but I think that was his intention and how he went about making it and um and there's also just this fundamental thing even though it's it's high-minded um on purpose it's got, you know, anti-American, anti-violence, anti-war messaging. There's this fundamental thing between men and women that it's just really misogynist. It's so stupid. It's like men are from Mars and women are from Venus kind of thing. Like women just want to talk about emotion and men want to talk about ambition. And it's just the it's it's so simplistic. Whereas everything else is is so high minded that it's just it's just really annoying and uh, frustrating to watch because I I think for all that he's got these big ideas I think he doesn't know a fucking thing about women and uh, and this movie illustrates that more than any of the others. Okay, and Mia. <sighs> I loved this movie. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I honestly, I agree so much with everything that Alicia and Steven and Laura said. I really don't feel like I have that much to add to it. Like, I completely agree. It was just really difficult to watch. I, it was pretty to look at. It made me wish I could be on vacation in France. But otherwise, I just, like, I didn't really care about the characters at all. I found them obnoxious, but also, like, very boring but also just shallow. I think it's a very good way of putting it, Alicia. Um, I didn't really care what was going to happen. I, I I don't know. I think like I felt like there was stuff going on that I was like, oh, if I was like a little smarter or was willing to like give this a bit more of a chance, like, you know, all the cuts to the paintings or other art or I felt like there was more there and I was just not grasping it. But like I just didn't really give enough of a shit to like try. I feel like, you know, there wasn't enough of like a hook in the movie to make me want to like, cause there, there's been other movies we've watched that I'm like, okay, I don't really enjoy this, but kind of once I like read more about it or, you know, it, there's enough that makes me want to dig into it and kind of figure out a way to like grasp and get my arms around it and at least be able to appreciate it. Even if it's not a movie that I would ever watch again, but this, I just, I kind of can't believe it's like, rated so highly and on the poll like I just 
it's it it is no it's not for me um i didn't love breathless when we watched it and maybe it's just like the memory of that has faded a bit but like now i'm like oh that movie's so much better than this one um it's maybe it's just more approachable easier to engage with it's kind of a similar heist people on the run kind of story um but i guess it's just maybe it's more digestible it's less out there um so yeah yeah uh as we were watching this movie i just kept thinking what is this whirlwind of nonsense um that's really what it felt like i was just like struggling sometimes to to kind of keep up with what was happening plot wise but you know and at some point you're, you're like well i guess the plot's kind of secondary but also i don't know what the fuck's happening though at this point so like it's not that helpful in in that way but like to the point of it being something like other movies we've watched where um i also like had that experience of like not enjoying it as much watching it but then uh reading about it afterwards and then our discussion of it especially would would lead me to enjoying the movie more in retrospect. Like I do have a little bit of that because I've read about it, but there is a, an aspect of it that I do. I agree with the term shallow being applied to this because I, I and I don't even think that Godard would care if you said that about this movie. Like, I don't think he's trying to be emotionally deep or anything like that. I, it, he he is to kind of the point that Mia was making in a way of this, like relating it to breathless with, with breathless, he was like doing his version of an American crime gangster movie in a way like his romanticized secondhand version of it. And now he's kind of, at least in parts of this doing that removed because he's doing a version of his own movie from before, hmm. like, cause he's clearly referencing breathless. I think with, I mean, it's the same actor. And he's like in similar situations, like laying in bed with the girl, like running around him and all this, you know, like there, there's no way that's not in his mind as he's making that scene. And maybe that's why he made that scene. But um, I don't know. There, there's I think this stuff about it being like um, so influenced and related to pop art does give me a little something to latch on to and, and have interest in it. And the way I think of it is like, I, I agree. Everyone seems to be touching on the visuals of it, that those were striking and maybe enjoyable, uh, disconnected from the film itself in a way. And so maybe we could talk more about that. But I, I do think that this is a movie that if it was playing on a loop in a gallery, I would like be captivated by the visuals across the room and be drawn to go and watch it for a while. But it would be nice to be able to like be like, OK, I've had enough of this. Go away. And then like... <laughs> maybe go back and watch a little more later and like, just take it in like that. And I feel like it, honestly, I'd get the same dramatic thrust from the film in those spurts. Cause like, it doesn't maintain anything throughout. It's very disjointed and purposefully. So that's the other thing about the movie is that like, we're saying all this and I don't think any of us is wrong to have this, this negative opinion of the film, but I think it's hard to deny that probably Godard did exactly what he set out to do with the movie. So in terms of it being intentional, someone used that word before. I don't remember who. Um, I, I think that the intention of the film is achieved probably with flying colors. Like I think he was, I think he made what he wanted or a version of what he, what he wanted. Cause we'll get into it later, but like not sure how planned this movie was in advance parts of it at least. But um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a more interesting pop art piece to me than like, a film that I want to go sit down and watch in full. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe let's, let's start by, or Alicia, you want to say something? Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, I feel like this is one of those movies where the characters are maybe intentionally very unlikable. Yeah. <laughs> and it's mm -hmm. just, that's not an easy movie to, that's not an easy thing to watch. You know, it's, it's how long, how long do you want to sit through that? So right. I do agree. I think he probably intention had, I think he made the movie he wanted to make, but it's just not entertaining. Yeah. And even like to that point, there's a couple scenes I think where she sings to him. So I'm talking about the one where they're outside and she's singing some line about uh, something about her fate. Yeah, I think so. And 
it just got so annoying to me because she just kept singing the same line over and over. I just wanted to yell like, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. I'm so tired of the scene already. Can we move on? Um, yeah. So I don't, I, it, but, but like it was not a, the song was like a well-sung song. Like, you know, it, it, you could say there's a beauty to it, but it was still annoying within the context that it was taking place. Cause at that point I was just like, I don't, I don't feel like I've, found anything in this movie to latch onto in a meaningful way but um, i think anyway. we were like an hour and 15 minutes in by that point yeah exactly so we're, we're past the halfway point on the film and I, I already feel like i lost the thread on it personally to alicia's point about being likable i would say most godard films do not have likable characters at the forefront in a lot of ways like breathless. This is, yeah. This is the only Godard I've I've never seen breathless. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. I didn't know that, but um, I mean, well, I would, I would give breathless a shot. You know, it didn't put me off Godard completely, but it's just. Uh, I you just, definitely, I definitely think you should. I mean, I I, I loved it. Um, contempt or V versus V. These are they're complicated relationships. They're kind of backstabbing people. Um, you know. I guess th- these are the most shallow, dis- shallowly dislikable people. Like they just, there's not much. Um, well, I'm, I'm always like f- any man who just feels sorry for himself for the first like yeah. half hour of a film mm-hmm. is never really going to get me, you know, all into it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it definitely had that to go on. To go back to breathless. Like I do think that Belmondo in that film, even though at heart, Sure, he's dislikable in a large way because he's just kind of being like an asshole through so much of the movie. But he has a charisma and charm that's hard to deny. And then I think uh, Seberg is also charming too. Like they're they're more likable, I think, to me in that movie than these two characters ever. Right, approach. but he's also a murderer. Yeah, I I know, but I still find them like to be okay, charismatic and charming in a way that I think they that. Belmondo never approaches in this film. Like, I think he's a sad sack through most of it. And I do think there's like, I think the movie gets away with a little more even than I, I realize it does probably because he is naturally charismatic as a person, as a performer. But like, I think it would be just an intolerable film if not for probably some baseline charisma he has, but still I didn't really like, yeah, her too. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying him because of versus breathless, which he's also in. But um, yeah, I see what you're saying, but I also kind of I'm I still think my point. Resumes. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that Godard <laughs> makes films about good people. That no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but uh, anyway, like I I, I want to go back to the visuals because I think we all said some version of like, well, it was pretty to look at, or like it was it was you know it had nice visuals in some way, so. Like it can that ever be enough for anybody? Like I, I think that, like I said, I, I, I think if I saw this in the gallery, I'd enjoy it in that setting. Watching it in a two-hour stretch, sitting on my couch at home, or if I'd gone to a theater to see it, I think I like those are frustrating experiences for me. But um, like, does anybody have anything to say about the visuals beyond like I like the visuals? <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> I don't think that you can sit through two hours. Of, I mean, obviously, none of us enjoyed this experience. So. Right. <laughs> well, what about the visuals did you enjoy? Really? Well, I liked him smoking in the bathtub. I liked both. They're both beautiful and stylish. And the cars are <laughs> beautiful and stylish. And Europe is, the Mediterranean is beautiful and stylish. I liked the, yeah, stylish. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the cutaways to, you know, some of the art. Uh, I liked and I liked I liked the literary references I enjoyed that but um, you know I mean like I said there's just nothing underpinning at all there's nothing that like I mean you can make unlikable characters likable there's way to there's ways to do that narratively yeah I mean watch HBO and you know that's their whole business model at this point Mad Men I mean any of the last Mm -hmm. two decades of television you can do you can do that my favorite scene visually was when they decide to fake the car accident and explode the car. And they they come across this horrific accident on this little piece of 
an overpass that there's like no reason why that would be there. It's not connected to anything. It's just like literally this like, I don't know what, 15 foot tall, 15 foot long chunk of an overpass with a car up against it. Someone like slouched over who must have hit her head. A man like bent in half out the window, like horrific. And they're just like, oh yeah, let's just like leave the car here. And okay, let's like set it on fire and stuff. And I'm just like, what the hell? Like, okay. (laughs) And they're like, hurry, hurry. The cops are going to come. But just to me, visually, that chunk of the overpass, I just loved it. I was like, this is like, why is this here in like the French countryside? So I thought that was really great. That was the point where... There, where I, w- I had to rewind it because I thought I had missed something, you know, when they approached that. So I that's why no. I just was. <laughs> They're just assholes and are like, oh, sweet. <laughs> and then I feel like that point is when he reveals how like truly awful he is because correct me if I missed something here, but he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's like shoot the car and light it on fire. And then like as soon as she does that, or maybe he's the one who actually shoots, but whatever. As soon as it happens, he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, like all the money is in the trunk of the car. And I was just like, wait, what? And I was like, oh, my God, this like <laughs> shitty little sad rich boy is like just going to like run away and like doesn't care about money, even though they're like, we don't have any money. And, you know, he's just going to burn. I think they say later is $50,000 or 50,000 francs. I don't know. Um, but anyways, like a ton of money. And he was just so like, uh, ha ha. And I was like, oh my God, he's just like, wants to play it being poor, play it being this like, you know, on the lamb gangster dude. And like, you suck, you suck, man. So yeah, that scene encapsulated a lot for me. <laughs> I like the, um, the use of color throughout the film. I mean, I think the clearest use of it was at the party scene near the beginning when mm-hmm. he decides to run away, really, of uh, of the like, you know, the, the little vignettes that were all one color for the most part until he's talking to actual film director Sam Fuller um, for a minute. And he's in full color, um, which I guess is a comment of its own somehow. But um yeah, I don't know. I, I, like, I got I, there was so much of it that, like, what's frustrating to me about a movie like this, I guess, is it's playing it being deep in its ideas, but it kind of isn't. Because, like, I get it; these people are saying things that sound like advertisements because they are just shallow people and don't have like real thoughts in their heads, and they're just like super influenced by culture and advertising. I get it. Okay, cool. What's the point? That's kind of how I felt through any of the movie. Mm-hmm. Anytime there was something like that, and I can't even tell you what other things, like that was the clearest one of those, I think, out of the whole movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they felt like perfume commercials in the 90s that you used to watch. You know, it, it just, <laughs> yeah, nothing just really fit together in a way that was coherent. And and that yeah. was the biggest problem that I had. And, and you could just tune into any point in the movie and kind of get the same reaction that you would have gotten if you had watched in reverse order. You know, it's, it was just like, what's the point after a while of, of even trying to pay attention and decipher this movie? Right. For, for a long time, I've had in back of my head, if I ever had the chance to program like not a film festival, but like a retrospective, I'd do like a lovers on the run uh, retrospective with like Bonnie and Clyde, natural born killers, badlands. They live by night. Uh, there's other stuff I'm forgetting. I would True not romance. include this hmm. true romance. Sure. But I would not include this. <laughs> or maybe I would just to prove that the others are all so much more. Well, I mean, I think Breathless would yeah could fit. Yeah, yeah Breathless, Breathless could fit. Sure. Or, or like Bend Apart, you know. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, so I'll take your I, word for it. I'm kind of curious as to why Breathless wasn't on the list and this one was. And yeah, you know. same. Yeah. Miss. <laughs> <laughs> what Alicia? What was going on with the Vietnam play? <laughs> Sorry, mm. like, were they supposed to be coming off racist or was it just inherently racist? Oh, my God. That was I, I just couldn't even. Yeah, that was tough. I mean, I maybe a little bit of A, a little bit of B. Making fun of Americans. Sure. Fine. That's, yeah. I'm fine with playing that, toward but... the lowest common denominator. So so being racist in that because Americans would like it. Oh, OK. I was thinking more. Were they saying I, I just was confused as to whether they were saying society is racist 
the Vietnam War is racist, which valid, yes. or and or Americans are racist, which yes. okay. But I also was like, well, maybe they're just being racist. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, maybe the characters are just being racist. Like, I couldn't tell what they were, what he was going for, really. You know, I couldn't tell which line, which where he, which line that fall that fell on. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's a good point. I think it crossed all those lines, um, but yeah, with terrible. I think under the guise of making fun of Americans, mm-hmm. it still surpassed that and was just shitty on all levels. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because the American was bombastic and over the top as well, so I think it kind of Laura's point is probably what they were going for. Just couldn't tell if they were making fun of only Americans or both American people and Vietnamese people. I couldn't. I just couldn't tell whether both were being made fun of or only one. I mean, and- I would also just throw in that maybe they're making fun of those, but also French people. Like, I think he's kind of got his knives out for everybody. I could see there being a level of that also. We watched this movie yesterday, and so much of it has already like flitted out of my head. Like, I, I don't know. It was just like a stream or a barrage of you know, disconnected moments to me in such a big way, which I know is probably not completely fair, um, but, like, that's just how it felt uh, on a first watch. I do wonder if this is a movie, though, that, like, bears... Well, I mean, I guess Laura can answer this uh, in because in she, she saw it before, and you still didn't like it, but, like, I wondered if it was a movie that I would like more on subsequent viewings if I ever watch it again. Um, just because, like, I'm past the shock of how it is structured or unstructured or whatever you want to call it. Um, but, like, Laura, do you think you would like it more? Did you like it more, even if you still didn't like it this time? Do, and do you think if you saw it again, you might even increase how much you, you like it? And then to everybody, do you think you would appreciate it more on a second viewing? The only way I think this film is palatable on any viewing moving forward is watching it at a bar with the sound off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's good for that. I agree. Um, What about the rest of you? Would anybody watch it again? And do you think you might appreciate it more? Steven? Um, I I did try to get through this a second viewing, and I did like it a little more the second time around. But it's like some of these movies that we do watch, I think it's, it's better to watch more of the person's the the director's movies mm-hmm. to give it more context and to read more about it and to know what the context of what was happening in the world at the time to really get this movie. So I feel right. like as a casual viewer of some of these, it doesn't really work. I mean, a movie like this, I feel like you do like with Laura, like she's seen a few more of his movies. So she's able to con- contextualize it a little bit more and know if it's better or worse than some of the other movies. But for right. someone who's just sort of like, for me, I don't see a whole lot of movies. So I I just had a really hard time with it. And I didn't, um, and also what Mia had said before, like I didn't feel the compulsion to read more and watch more about it other than doing this podcast, which I don't think I would have watched this movie again. Yeah, I mean, I think that's reminding me of, and the thing I read from Roger Ebert, his review from the 60s about the movie, he said all of Godard's films since Peru LeFou have essentially been movies about themselves. And I don't know if he's actually including this one in that, but I'll throw it in there. Um, But I think either way, he seems to be like in conversation with his own movies from movie to movie. And Laura, I think you've seen more of his films than any of us. So like, would you agree with that? Does that seem to be the case? Like he's always sort of like self-referential with his own filmography. Yeah, I agree with that. Also, they become more and more political. Um, Mm -hmm. It's also like, who gives a shit, you know? Yeah, like- I know. That, that, well, that's what I was kind of getting at. Is like, I think that there's something interesting artistically about that, but as entertainment, which movies usually are, uh, you know, a joining of art and entertainment, I, I think that that goes a little less so for Godard. Because mm-hmm. like, if, if you're trying to find enjoyment in his films, I think you come away thinking like, this guy's just up his own ass, you yeah. know, like more than anything. And this um, film is more up its own ass yeah. than the others. <laughs> and that's not even to say that you can't like still recognize the art of it and appreciate that and appreciate like who Godard was in in 
film as a whole, like, cause he's an important figure in film. Like you can still have like a, an opinion of a film of his films. that's like, yeah, not for me, <laughs> but I would watch it a second time, but, um, but not a third, I think, <laughs> you know, just to like, see if I would like it more on a second viewing. But okay. then, I mean, unless I fell in love with it on the second time, I don't think I would watch it a third time. I would, I would really just want to see if there were things I didn't, that I missed the first time or something I didn't appreciate about it the first time and watching it. But yeah, I don't think I would go beyond that probably. <laughs> right. Uh, well, Stephen, do you want to ask your question for everyone? Mm, sure. So my question was, as legend goes, like many of Godard's other films, this one did not have a screenplay well before shooting, and many scenes were improvised by the actors. Though this is his style, do you think the movie could have benefited from having a fully written script beforehand? What do you think would have been lost by doing this? Well, I'll, I'll answer. I absolutely think it would benefit um, if it had more character and plot as opposed to those things being secondary, which is what it, I think they are in this film. Um, you know, Goddard's quoted another quote that I'm going to mutilate something. All you need to make a film is a girl and a gun. And he does that here again. But, you know, it's just not enough in this case at all. It's almost like um, a disdain for the audience is palpable with a film like this. So, yeah, an actual script with something driving it would have been helpful here, yeah, I think. I do think that that's a worthwhile uh, way to approach films, you know, assuming you have some baseline plot or some baseline goal in every scene that the actors are working towards but um because sometimes in improvisation you do find things that you wouldn't have found from just a straight up script and I think like Mike Lee who's made a lot of really great movies does a lot of improvisation during the rehearsal process in order to figure out where they want to take things so I think it's really, really a worthwhile thing to do. I just don't know if these people were bad at it or they should have done more of it. Or they. I feel like they probably should have had a full-blown script and then let them improvise around it and take what take, – if they found anything cool in the improv, use it. Otherwise, go with the written word. Yeah, well, to use the Mike Lee example, he sort of does, from my understanding of his method – he does the kind of opposite of what I understand the method to be of like someone like um, Adam McKay, you know, because Adam McKay, especially in his comedies with Will Ferrell was famous for like, let's do the script. And then we start doing improv after we've, we've hit that. And then like so much of that made it into the movie. And he's even talked about like, it's interesting to, to like get into of like how he, he talks about how the technology that was coming out at that time actually enabled a lot of, that technique in a way that he couldn't do before and doesn't even make any sense any, anymore. But that's a whole other thing. But Mike Lee, like you said, he does all this improv in um, in rehearsals, but then they lock a script and they film that, you know? And I'm not saying that means that they don't do like some change on set or something, but that's my understanding is that they, they do end up with a script, but it's basically a script that's been written by him and the actors together through finding it in rehearsal. Um, so yeah, I mean, I do think generally that's a better way to go for most stuff. Like I think that, but I do think that there's also people who've made pretty improvised on the fly films that are entertaining. I just like, don't find this that entertaining. Cause it like, it just doesn't, there's never, never anything that like sort of lasts long enough, sustains itself long enough to kind of, kind of sink into sink your teeth into and kind of hold on to and like be along for the ride. Like, I just always feel like I'm like, wait, what? That's like literally <laughs> what, it, what I'm asking as we're watching this movie. Yeah. I'm not even joking. I was just literally like, what the fuck is happening right now? Like every <laughs> like five minutes. Yeah. Like I, so I, I, you know, I don't appreciate being made to feel like I'm too dumb to like keep up with your fucking movie you didn't think to write <laughs> or whatever but whatever you know American. you're still a genius godard that's fine alicia um, having done i mean having done a fair bit of improv i i feel like i feel like they should they just didn't they never um 
I mean, and I've only done comedy improv really, but you're supposed to find a game in your scene and which is basically like an unusual thing and then work or like do the comedy kind of around that thing. And I feel like obviously in dramatic improv, it would be not the same thing, but you still need to find something that you're kind of working around. And I feel like there was no nothing. They were not working around anything. They were just like, be go out there and be blase and say some literary stuff to each other. <laughs> right. Look really good while you're doing it. And they just never got to like, they in none of the scenes ever got to like a meaningful conversation, a meaningful point, you know, like they never. So I don't know if they should have been edited earlier or if they should have just never been improv at all. It's just, it's, it's. Yeah, sorry, that was maybe too inside baseball and improv or something, but... No, no, I, I think it's useful. But I, I think, like, as I'm going by what we're all saying and how we're criticizing it, like, I do think if I if I st- take a step back from my own, like, frustration with the film and go back to the question of, like, the intention behind it, I think he achieved what he intended to achieve. And I think that goes for... The, re- the reason I'm saying this again is, like, I think that he edited this film in a very specific way, like of the transitions from scenes are supposed to be a little discombobulated. I don't understand why, but I think that's what he wanted and that's fine. It's his movie. Um, And I think that probably most things, if I interrogated them or any of us interrogated them very closely, like any piece of the film, there's probably some answer like that there of like, yeah, I don't get it, but that's what he meant to do. You know, and so I I don't know. It's still like frustrating in its way, but it at least makes it make a little sense in an odd way. If that if that even makes sense, I don't know. For this film, he made a clear effort to take the viewer out or to break the fourth wall and make sure that with different methods and scene cutting that to remind the viewer that they were watching a film. Also, I think like from for an actor from an actor's point of view you have to make choices about your character and you usually that's like in conjunction with a script. (laughs) So if you're just up there kind of making your own choices without a script, I think they just didn't, you, especially like if with, if you're doing improv, you have to make really, really strong choices. And sometimes that's, sometimes you just don't can't, or you just don't have the weight. You don't have something to do it with. And I kind of feel like maybe that was happening here too. I don't know. There's a lot of things like that in the movie. Like I think the scene where there was the dead body at the very beginning, (laughs) almost the beginning of the movie where they kind of walk in and she's making a meal or something. And she walks by on the guy. It's just like emotionally. You're just like, wait, what? Like, and, and they were so blase about it. You're just like, that's why a lot of that movie, you were just wondering if there was just something missing in it. And I feel like, yeah. Yeah, maybe and, that and was I, their choice, you know. Yeah, and, so. and yeah, it's it's true. It's just like that's the choice of the movie that he made, but it doesn't make for a good viewing experience for anybody. So that that's what was confusing to me the, the most. And that's I'm one of those people that just kind of needs like more coherence when it comes to a movie. So I that's right. that's what I would have liked. But I mean, that's not the movie that he wanted to make. Okay, so those are our thoughts on Perot LeFou. We'll share our final thoughts on the movie and answer a bonus question after this break. So what was your favorite scene, moment, element of the movie, whatever it might be? Alicia, you want to start us off? I liked Alonzi Alonzo. <laughs> Uh, that was maybe my favorite thing from the whole movie. Uh, I no, don't even I like, recall what that is. That was just a thing he said like several times. It means like, let's go. Let's go, okay. daddy is how they translate yeah, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Let's but go, it's Daddy-o. like a French play on words, Alonzi Alonso. And uh, no, I mean, I like, you know, like I liked the aesthetics and I liked Anna Carino's beautiful. And if I had to pick a scene, I probably would just pick the smoking, the very first smoking in the bathroom scene where he's reading and reading to the child i like i liked that moment it didn't like a lot else okay laura he uses smoking in bathroom bathtubs quite a lot if you ever want to if i could recommend contempt is a, is a very good movie i'm going to check that out um for me my favorite scene was the 
when they're driving and they would cut, it would cut abruptly, the music would stop, and then they would do it from a different angle, and then they would repeat the line that just happened before the music would begin, and it would it, it purposefully take you out of the film and just show you the cut cut by cut nature of it. And I thought that was really um, artfully done. Okay. Mia? Um, In addition to the overpass scene, I really liked the scene when uh, they steal the car at the, like, gas station. I just thought it was very cool, very well choreographed. Yeah. Um, Steven? Um, There was a, I mean, overall, I just really enjoyed looking at this movie. Um, One of the scenes that I really liked was when, uh, I guess, Ferdinand was just eating that huge block of cheese at the... (laughs) at the waterfront. It was just so random. And at first I was like, is he cutting into something? And then it was just cheese. And I was like, okay, he's just eating a really big block of cheese. And this is great. Um, Another thing that I liked was when he, uh, Ferdinand was talking to his wife and she was wearing that new girdle. And he said something about like, first there was Greek civilization, then the Renaissance. And now we're in the age of ass. So (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny. He he hadn't seen nothing yet. (laughs) (laughs) I think in our translation, it said rump. Rump. Oh, it was rump. Yeah. Yeah. I like ass better, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it turns it into like a shaft movie then or something. Alicia, um, were you about to say something? Oh, I just remembered the scene with the fox and the parrot, like on, with them. I was the just fox. like, what is this? Yeah. The fox was so cute. so cute. It was very cute. I loved it, but I was like, why is this happening? <laughs> Why yeah. is anything happening? How long have they been here? Like they have pets. Yeah. How do they have money? Yeah, yeah, they're like farming too. and they're in like really amazing clothes. <laughs> Her wardrobe. Like, it, well, yeah. If this took place in the 21st century that they would there's no way they would have had access to that beach without money. No way. <laughs> no way. Um I'm just going to stick to use of color and if I have to pick a scene I'd go with the party scene i guess that was done very well yeah i yeah. enjoyed that too I, I think my favorite thing about the movie is its use of color and and some of the uh be, beyond that with the cinematography some of the framing um was interesting but i also think his use of primary color yeah that's mm-hmm. that's what i'm that's what i mean basically um i liked when he blew himself up at the end too i was gonna say <laughs> that, that was... but i didn't know if that was too uh <laughs> It was beautifully filmed. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, yeah. and it really emotionally was, yeah. satisfying for me. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at that point, I was like, just burn it all up. Yeah. <laughs> Take it down. Yeah, I think so. anybody should just like freeze frame any frame in that movie and just look at it. And it's just like all of the frames are just gorgeous, I think. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like the yeah. scissors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so has the movie, as far as you're concerned, stood the test of time or another way of framing it? Do you think it resonates today? Alicia. I don't know how to answer that this time because I don't even know what the reception was to begin with. I mean, I guess it seems like it wasn't great or it was great. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it feels like it was very mixed. Let's just say that. And I feel like it's none of us enjoyed it very much. I think Godard is obviously like an important filmmaker. I do think it is beautiful. I get it from that perspective, but did this ever resonate? Like what? <laughs> I mean, no. Does it apparently stand enough what test to of time be... is it? Like what? Yeah. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> it resonated with enough critics to make it uh, you know, pretty high on the the list of greatest films ever made. Was mm-hmm. it critics or directors or, or critics? Both? Oh, it was higher for critics. I think it was 42 for critics in 2012 and 91 for directors. Wow. Okay, question though. Is <laughs> okay. it just critics being like the emperor has no clothes or not being like the emperor has no clothes? Maybe. I don't even want to get into I don't that either because I don't want to give this film any more of my life, but just going to say that. <laughs> there. I think that puts it on the table. Um, Steven. Um, yeah. Um... <laughs> I think that <laughs> I think that when you when, when you you when you 
compare it or, or look at all of Godard's other movies, maybe it does when you look at him, you know, when you look at all the movies and you watch all the movies, maybe it does. But just on its own, I'm not really sure that it does. All right, Mia, do we have to ask? Well, you skip Laura, but... Oh, did I? Sorry. Well, Laura I then. cut in line. <laughs> okay. Um, no, it doesn't. Okay, Mia? I, I second that, <laughs> Your Honor. <laughs> Much more um, succinct than me. <laughs> well, I would just go back to what I said near the start. Like, I think as a, as a film... I don't think it resonates today that much. I don't think it stands the test of time necessarily. As an art piece, I think it does. Um, so I'm kind of parsing it finely there, but that's what I'm going to do. So bye. <laughs> <laughs> I would say go watch Breathless or Contempt or anything yeah. else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I enjoy Breathless more. Um, definitely. Or My so, Life to Live. Stephen, you also had a bonus question for us for this episode. Do you want to ask that? Um, Sure. Since we're approaching Halloween and we're taping this during the Halloween season, um, which horror franchise do you think should be put to rest and they shouldn't do any more movies with? And Stephen, do you have an answer for that? I do. Um, And it's kind of funny because uh, Mia brought this up earlier. It's the Scream franchise. And as much as I love them, I think that the well is pretty dry at this point after doing five movies. And I love Nev Campbell, but I think that, you know, she I don't think she's going to be in the sixth movie. But I, I just feel like, you know, there, there's more movies out there that she should be doing than another screen movie anyway. Yeah. Wild Things 2. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> Dare we dream. We get a Denise Richards a song if that happens. Oh, my God. <laughs> I would love that. Uh, Mia. Um, so they may have already put this to rest. I'm not sure. But the Saw movies, does anyone know? Are they still making those? I think they are. I mean, there was one out in the last okay. year yeah. or two. There was Spiral from the Book of Saw. I That was the one that Chris Rock made for some reason. I, I saw the first one like a thousand years ago. Um, and I thought it was just like one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Like so violent, so horrific, gave me the worst headache, like was just completely like, it's not a movie that should exist that in such wide viewership, at least like, I think it's bad for humanity that these movies exist and I want them all destroyed. Wow. (laughs) Well, I'm going to butt in and just say, I was also going to say Saw, but not that strongly. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, I don't care. People, I, I think uh, I think they can, however many there are now, 15 of them or something, I don't fucking know. They can still exist. I don't have to watch them. People like them. That's fine. I don't think they have to be burned from the face of the earth like my <laughs> wife, but that's fine. Uh, uh, but Laura, what do you think? Well, I guess I, I don't really... I don't really watch that many horror films like that come out with different, you know, like I think it's for something like Halloween. I love Jamie Lee Curtis and I love that these movies keep coming out and I I like that want, that they should continue. But where I got stuck on this and it's because I've been thinking about this movie a lot lately is Nosferatu and how they keep remaking it and there's so many different versions of it and how they're making another version of it and um I think I'm kind of over it. I don't need another version of that. I mean, it, from it's all basically Dracula anyway, and you know, I think it's it's a it's a little bit tired. And specifically, the the, the director that's doing this version, I just feels I'm, I'm really reluctant. I don't have the best okay. vibes and idea about what what's to come. All right, Alicia, how about you? Yeah, I also I also don't tend to watch a lot of like horror movies that come out in theaters and unless I'm really planning to sit down and watch the whole franchise. I might watch the first one like at home or something if I'm in a spooky mood, but I don't watch a lot of horror. But um I, I maybe I I've, I've seen all the Nightmare on Elm Street films and up well up to 5, not beyond 5. But I and I saw them all when I was like a kid. 
and really liked them and loved them up to the point where they finished because there's a whole mythology. There's a whole thing. I see, I see head shaking, but there's a whole big mythology and story behind it and God is involved and it's all in those places. <laughs> but I don't know that it went any place interesting after that. So I think like they should have probably just capped it at, let it end after the fifth one. Okay. Well, our next episode is Laura's fifth pick. Laura, do you want to tell us about that movie? Yeah. Um, it's Raging Bull, directed by Martin Scorsese, released in 1980. And it's available with a subscription on Hoopla, or you can rent it via Apple, Amazon, Google, or anything else. You can rent stuff. Yeah, there you go. Um, so that is it for this episode of the Stereoactive Movie Club. We invite you to join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Stereoactive Movie Club. You can also email us at stereoactivemovieclub at gmail.com. And you can subscribe to the show just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you have a moment, please do rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, or anywhere else that allows you to do that. It helps others to find the show, and we would be very appreciative. Also, you can get updates about the show by following Stereoactive Media on Instagram or Twitter. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media.